You know there's something about the way he talks. I want you to listen very carefully. I didn't want to make it awkward with a threesome. So you're probably wondering where that leaves you. You might be my last chance. My air conditioner does not work. It is stagnant in here. I don't want to sit in my office and listen to someone talk about their water retention. There will be fat years and there will be lean years, but it is going to rain. They want us to hate each other. I refuse to participate in that. I don't care what they say. London Fog is a great name. Welcome to Mad Men Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series Mad Men, a show that ran from 2007 to 2015. We gear our conversation around the conversation the show is having about gender, the patriarchy, and uh, <laughs> having a, a gay sex scene that's so hot it sets off the fire alarm. And actually, since we're on the topic of decorum... <clears throat> I'd like to speak with you about the way I'm being addressed. I'm not John. I'm Mr. Prostitute. I'm John Negroni. And uh, Will Ashton, I can't speak for everyone on this podcast, but I like you. Mm, well, I like you too, John. And I also like our other host, who's back again. Uh, oh, uh, Mike, this isn't easy. It really isn't. I bet you really thought you'd made it. This podcast is unkind, but it's generous and it's fair. I gotta say, I don't really like either of you two. Uh, I have a few more. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Will Ashen, you've taken to this podcast like a little lesbian. Um, <laughs> oh, here's another one. Uh, fellow podcasters in mediocrity, I want you to listen carefully. That's, you can all go straight to hell. That's the one I was hoping you were going to go with. I'm never going to do the one that you're hoping for. Aww. Don't you get that? <laughs> yeah, I get that now. Um, now we're in the third season of this show. Mike Overholse, uh, is that the last of it? I don't like how much I'm getting used to this podcast. Oh, this one's better. I love the sound of your voice right now. That's because Mike's already drunk. Sorry, I have five more. Okay, I wouldn't be much of a podcast man if I didn't ask what it pays. I think podcasting sounds fascinating. Going through other people's TV shows sounds sexy. Uh, so you're a couple of G-men? No, we're podcasters. And uh, of course, Will Ashton, can you do the Pete Campbell dance? He's doing it. Not as much uh, flavor. but Well, I, I, you only can see the top half of me, so I can't do the legs where he's like, you know, doodly doo bop beep bop. He's all like, you know, <laughs> into it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was a big I mean, since we already are talking about the dance, I thought that was a, a pretty amazing moment. I felt like, you know, that, that very much felt like what um, Pete would be doing when he's like having a little happy dance to himself kind of thing. A little like doo jig by himself. Good stuff. Hey, what if I told you there could be more Pete Campbell dances to come? Would that get you happy? Honestly, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Um, we're now in season three, episode one, Out of Town. And uh, this, is, uh, this is an episode that I have very much been excited to talk about. It was directed by Phil Abraham. It was written by Matthew Weiner. You can kind of tell from the first scene, especially. Um, we're in season three. Obviously, we're in territory that uh, is not new to me or Mike, but it is new to Will. Will, can you establish here for good that this is you haven't seen this episode at any parties, you know, is, behind somebody's seat in an airplane? Yeah, that is 100% correct. I have not watched this season on my own volition. I have not watched it in the background at a party. I have not seen it on a plane or on a train or in a car. Or anything. Or on the subway, somebody the like subway? opened up their jacket and there was the an iPad around their neck <laughs> with the episode and also their naked body. And uh, 
It wasn't on the background as far as I know of any other uh, places I've been to in my life. This is all fresh. Mike, how much you want to bet next episode? Will's going to be like, oh, oh, wait. I actually, uh, oh, no, sorry. Uh, I watched this in college because they showed it uh, in class the whole season. No, he's going to really, he's going to watch one of those like TikTok series where it's like part one of 27 and it's like half of an episode <laughs> with subway surfers. <laughs> um, out of town. This episode came out August 16th, 2009. And this episode had the highest ratings of any Mad Men episode up until this point, 2.76 million. Uh, pretty impressive. Uh, I'll just say off the bat, though, that no other episode reportedly that had numbers reported uh, reached these same heights. We won't see uh, the same kind of buzz for a Mad Men episode until season four. But that said, I mean, it's still across the board, a highly rated uh, season, of course, both critically and with audiences. And Mike, I know when you checked out the episode, you kind of let us know in the chat, you know, you were like, oh, season three is so good. Do you want to elaborate on that? Um, yeah, sure. So I think actually what I said is uh, season three slaps. It's so good. Uh, Somebody got slapped in this episode. If you know what I mean? Ooh. Uh, no, I just, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I feel like we're starting to get to like, you know, Mad Men at the height of its powers. You know what I mean? Like season three, season four, like this is, we're like, this is the meat. Like, we slow roasted. We we put that meat in the slow cooker. It's fallen off the bone. It's juicy. It's good. Like you know all the characters. You're having interesting things happen. Um, just uh, if I could just summarize it in, in in a way. I'm also really hungry right now. We're shooting this right before lunch. So you're doing um, all the food metaphors, yeah. Exactly. Um, well, Ashton, do you agree with that? I mean, are you on the same highs? Or are you trying to tell? Michael Overholz to like calm down. You're high up in the air on this plane. Well, You're once to game. Once again, as I have just noted, I have not seen this season, so I have no opinion on it other than this episode. But uh, yeah, I mean, so far it's a good uh, start. I mean, I'm hoping to fall for my trap. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, but go like, ahead. It's also the third season opener you've seen of the show. Like, what do you think of it as far as like the you know the thesis of a season? Um. It feels a little bit more like contained. Like I could see this episode being one of like any episode. So we've like it doesn't feel as like pronounced outside of like we're gonna catch you up. Here's how things are going now. Like obviously it's been you know at least several months since the uh, last episode we saw at the end of season two. Like, yeah, so this episode takes place in April of 1963, and the last season ended in October. So yeah, it's been about six months. Yeah, I mean. Obviously, like a few notable characters or, um, you know, not seen at all or in the background, the uh, case in point, Dick or sorry, not Dick, uh, Duck. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what happened to him. I'm guessing he's not around anymore. Uh, it looks well, like yeah, Bert Peterson got his job. I think that's pretty, yeah. you know, clear what happened there. Right. right. Well, Bert Peterson had it for a little while. Right. Um, I did love the fact that that character is also named Bert. It also kind of showed his eventual like redundancy as far as like, <laughs> you know, like because when that scene started, I had to kind of rewind it a little bit where they're like, Bert's on his way. And I was a little confused, like what Bert's right what there. Are you, what are you trying to pull, <laughs> Matt Weiner? <laughs> Bert's right there. Why wouldn't he was right there? Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, other characters, you know, I kind of get the the central focus. Uh, but the thing I think I was happiest about was that we got a lot of Sal this time around. 
You did. I, when I was watching this, I was like, oh, this is like, you know, this may take place in April, but this is Christmas Day for Will Ashton, might as well. Um, it, what, what also is kind of different, because I do agree that it is very different from the openers in seasons two and one. There's no music to it. Like season two, if you recall, opened with the Chubby Checker song. It was like a montage. It was like feeling like, oh, some time has really passed because it was like a, over a year in between seasons one and two. We totally skipped 1961. And uh, season one, of course, opens with like, you know, the classic song, the kind of ode to the 50s, like zooming in on Don Draper. That's really like, you know, cold open, basically. This season, it, it kind of opens with, uh, I thought it was like very much like a Eugene O'Neill sort of play. I don't know how familiar you two are with Eugene O'Neill's work, but particularly like Death of a Salesman, of course, Streetcar Named Desire, Long Journeys Into Night, where we see Don kind of like having this sort of like fourth wall breaking, like imagining or maybe like recreating what he believes what his birth was like, probably based on stories as we assume, I guess, his mother told him. It's actually a very odd construction, the way that that, that happens, right? Um, and how he sees at first, you know, his biological father's wife uh, having a stillborn baby and then seeing his father gallivant off um, to pay, I, I believe it was like something like 89 cents um, for a prostitute who uh, dies in childbirth. He sees uh, giving birth to him and we get the origin of his name, Dick Whitman, um, which, you know, I think that we've made plenty of jokes about uh his name before but uh i guess uh, i don't know i don't know how much you two when you were first watching this mike and you of course will uh how much you were expecting that to be so on the nose i think it's really funny and i i and i i get what you're saying. it feels like um dick hogfat whitman that's his middle name by the way it, yeah it's so good it's so funny and i don't know i feel like this season it just feels more like um i don't know just like solid tv and it feels comfortable maybe that's the word i'm going for where, you know, season one, two, it's, I think there's a lot of mystery and intrigue, especially around Dick. And so starting off season three, you know, you, you know the story, you know a little bit more about him. And then they throw in this <laughs> Dick joke, essentially. And you're like, okay, it's, I don't know, it's a tone set. It's very different. I think you two will agree. I think this is a very slapsticky, sitcom-y sort of episode of Mad Men by comparison to the other ones. Like, we've had stuff like this in other episodes, but, like, I genuinely, like, you could add a laugh track to so many parts in this episode, particularly with Pete and Ken, where, like, they're talking to each other in the elevator, and there's all that dramatic irony of, like, oh, hey, like, <laughs> like stuff like that. Um, people have criticized the beginning of this episode, though. They said that it's a little bit too weird, a little bit too surreal. Uh, do you agree with that? Will, was, did you have a take on it? I know you're fresh off the episode. You just watched it. Yeah. Um, no, I was digging it. I mean, I know you guys have hinted throughout this podcast um, that the show gets maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, artistic, maybe a little bit more esoteric as far as the uh, stylistic choices that it makes. And I felt like this was kind of a nice way to establish, like, here's a little bit of a taste of where the tides are turning. Obviously, we've seen little bits like this before, but it feels like, this is a show kind of expanding itself more and allowing itself to have more of a cinematic quality that we uh, haven't seen. But also, like you said, obviously a little bit more of a play quality as well. I mean, something that we've seen the show dive into in the past, but not as uh, voraciously maybe as the this scene has this uh, demonstrated. I think it should be fitting too, right? Because 1963, by many people, is considered the end of a certain American era. This is the year that John F. Kennedy is going to be assassinated, not yet in the show. Hmm. But later on that year, right? 
And so I think it is, you know, important to point out the way the energy of this episode and like really what's going on here with the the, the British invasion stuff. We're sort of seeing that in the interming um, months that have passed by, a lot of people have been fired. They cover that off with really well written dialogue, by the way, of like not a lot of exposition, but like really just reading into like how the characters have emotionally been trying to process like what has happened in the last few months instead of just saying like, man, a lot of people sure got fired, like stuff like that. Instead, it's like people being like, is it starting again? Which is, has so much more dramatic heft to it. It really is a good episode. Um, what, is there anything you wanted to pick out though? Because uh, I, I know there's there's a lot of threads here. A lot of different characters get their due. Let's, let's start. Let's, let's, let's talk Sal. Let's, let's talk Baltimore. Yeah. Good morning, Baltimore. Um not lost, I guess, if, if people who like Baltimore, the 1960s, or not Baltimore, Hairspray, which is set in Baltimore and is, uh, mm-hmm. takes place in the 60s. Yeah, uh, we get like a fun uh, misadventure with Don and Sal. So we find out that they, they're going on a business call to, not a sales call, to London Fog, which is in Baltimore. Uh, Lane has that whole thing where he's just like, oh, London Fog, that's ludicrous. You know, like there was no fog, it was coal dust from the mining era. Which, uh, it's, it's a fun future reference to, I don't know if either of you ever watched The Crown. But uh, Jared Harris, who plays Lane Price, who uh, will Ashton, let me introduce you to to Lane Price, uh, an institution. I was gonna say, um, yeah, I mean, I know his. Uh, I, I don't know the name of the character yet. I, I know you just mentioned it, but um, Lane, Lane, that's it. I know he, uh, Jared Harris, gets a lot of notice and attention for his work in the show, and I, that's one of the things I've been most interested to see. You know, as we move forward, because I know a lot of people have like talked about him. I know he got cast in the. Um, Sherlock Holmes movies, like kind of based off the notoriety and the the acclaim he got. Fringe was like the next big thing for him after uh, this, and around this time, actually, in 2009. I mean, I know you really liked Fringe. I feel like you're the only person I know that keeps bringing up Fringe. Uh, And I feel bad because the first time you did it was uh, the unfortunate passing um, a few weeks ago when we were talking about John Wick uh, with uh, Lance Reddick. Yeah, Yeah. I, I feel like you you bring up Fringe more than any other person I've met in my life. I mean, you just need to hang out with people who are more like me. I don't know what to tell you. I don't but, know, Mike, um, did you watch I don't, Fringe? Not only did I not watch it, I didn't know what it was. I just Googled it, and it's not ringing any fucking bells. What? Fringe is like, a, uh, it launched the careers of Anna Torv. It was the big showcase for Joshua oh, Jackson. It's a, she was on um, uh, Mindhunter, right? Yeah, your co-star. Yeah, so, you know, maybe next time you'll pay attention to what your friends are up to. Mm. But anyway... Hmm. Um, Lane Price uh, would go on to play the uh, King of England in The Crown, which the whole the, subplot of that first season is about the London fog. So it's a fun little, like the show would come out much later, obviously, but you know, it's a fun little connection there. Yeah, I'm sure that's something that uh, Matthew Weiner really thought about. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, when he looked into the future. So, so neither of you watched The Crown either, is what I'm gathering here. Because um, Mike's shaking his head. I guess, you know, y- well, y'all get on my yeah, case for not watching TV. I watched The West because I'm from America. So. <laughs> I tried watching The West Wing. I think I made it like four or five episodes before I threw up. Um, mm. Sorry. To, never, uh, and you like The Crown. Mike's really... Uh, <laughs> So with the West, the West Wing, Wing is just such of its own time, though. It's like it's hard oh, okay. to like watch it now. These I didn't days. know if it was like a neoliberalism sort of thing, or if it was just like, uh, yeah, just because it was so outdated in its mentality and sentimentalism and all that and exactly, patriotism. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, yeah, Mike is just. I've never seen him look this upset. Like I, he just looks I, like he wants to get up and leave. I haven't watched West Wing either, so I mean, that might have done it. Will that might have set him off for good? 
<laughs> um, anyway, so Don and Sal are on a business trip to uh, basically uh, make sure business there's business continuity with Bert Peterson, head of accounts. We find out he took Duck's job um, it, at, when Duck clearly was uh, removed from Sterling Coop. And uh, they are kind of hanging out. And I, I, I've always gotten the sense, you know, that Don and Sal get along because like Don kind of respects the guy. They, you know, at one point Sal even says like two old married men, you know, they just kind of have like a similar energy. They're closer in age, it seems, uh, than they are with the other people in the office that they hang out with. And uh, there's a lot that happens here. Uh, there's a lot going on. They, they roast an ad, you know, they pick up some flight attendants, they, they have all kinds of fun hijinks. Um, so what did, what did you want to pick out there since you're the one who brought it up, Mike? Oh, I think it's really interesting, right? Because at the end of season two, you have Don going on a trip, right? And I think so much of this first episode in season three is kind of um, an antithesis to everything we got towards the end of season two. So end of season two, you know, Don isn't uh, Don isn't with his wife. They're going through a tough time. He goes on this trip for work. He disappears. He's being selfish. And then here we go. Don's on another trip. Is it going to be like last time? This time he's, he's with Sal. You also get him you have the opportunity with the stewardess. Like, is he or isn't he going to cheat? He does, obviously. Um, and also, you get a lot like of the, chances. You, you get a lot of chances. And um, and on top of that, I think with Sal, it's been a long running thing of like, okay, now we're really going to dive into this. You know, Sal is a gay man. Um, and of course, it's Don the, the, is the first person to, to really break this ice here. Um, because the man, the man who has a secret life discovers the man with the secret life. And so mm-hmm. I, there's a, there's a lot to chew on here. So I, there's a lot of threads that we can kind of dive down. There's a lot for, for Sal to chew on quite literally. Mm. Yeah, sure. Hmm. Um, Will, you had your thumbs um, up uh, while yeah. Mike was talking about, uh, Sal being a gay man. Was this a surprise to you? You didn't know? No, <laughs> that would have been funny. Um, no, I was going to say, I mean, it is interesting to me that like, even before um, John kind of finds out, or say John, Don finds out about um, yeah, Sal's you know sexuality. He John Hamm uh, found out too. To be fair, sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, like they're both men who kind of harbor this secret. Um, you know, Don's at this point maybe a little bit looser than Sal's, but you know, like I, I feel like that might have been something that, uh, as you were talking about, like something that if he doesn't know something that he can kind of appreciate about him instinctively is that they're both kind of men of, like you said, similar age, sort of a similar, um, mindset, similar sort of dry sense of humor, but also, yeah, they're just both men who, uh, you know, kind of go about the, you know, their lives with these, uh, kind of warped, uh, perspectives and and i think that's a fascinating way to dive into that by having them literally also play different people uh you know for fun on this business trip like adapting different personalities that just go on uh, kind of live uh laissez-faire in baltimore as these alternate personalities and through being these alternate personalities they find out the truth about one another yeah it's like sal is kind of like his robin to the robin to his batman you know he's kind of you know trying to like show him the ropes and then robin finds out he's but batman isn't um isn't sal a little bit older than don yes but what are you gonna do about it sure. he's don still is like in power over the guy right and uh if anything that adds like more intrigue to like this the, the context of everything i also wanted to bring up like how don like once again uh, people in the show use advertising to communicate with each other in this case don uses the London Fog ad on the plane 
to send a pretty clear message to Sal, which is just like, limit your exposure. You know, if you want to do some good work, you know, you have to learn to compartmentalize the way that I do. And I think it's interesting too, because like the ad, if you, if you notice, like the first time we see them with that Fleischman's ad, he calls him, of course, like Sam Fleischman, uh, when they're doing the fake identities, but they're looking at the ad with the guy with a huge bottle. And that's more of an ad that's sort of like, about Don, you know, kind of like subtly being a bit of an alcoholic, but then they're like making fun of the ad, just being like, oh my gosh, like it's ridiculous. Like it's so suggestive, but they then also, Don kind of does a similar ad, mm-hmm. um, with the London fog thing with like the exposure, the nudity of the woman. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, some fun dick jokes to be fa- had throughout the episode. There you go. Yeah. What does the guy look like? Shocked. Mm-hmm. Excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, do you, um, I don't know, I, I was curious about this. I mean, do you think it would have been accurate to the time for Don to be like so accepting of, of Sal? Or do you think that's kind of more of like, uh, this show is coming out in like 2010, the tides are sort of changing. People, you know, are a lot more thankfully open-minded about this sort of thing. Um, well, that's the thing, right? Don doesn't really express his opinion on sure. anything. I think it's, it's safe to say like, Don has been presented to us, the Don Draper persona, as a bit of an Ayn Randian sort of character. Mm -hmm. I don't think he cares because it's not his business. Because what he cares about is that Sal does his work and Mm -hmm. that things don't interfere. And I think that's why he's using the ad. I don't really see it as like something progressive. He's just like, it's fine. Like, I don't care. I think it's way more of a pragmatic sort of dude. Sure. Um, and I just, mean, just based on the information presented in this episode, I, I could be misleading you for th- things that happen later, to be clear. I guess so. But I mean, I think it's also, like we said, the fact that because they both have sort of a secret, it's just like, you know, he sort of almost sympathizes exactly. with, uh, with Sal. Like, you know, like, I get it. You know, like, I may not be gay, but I get like, you know, what it's like to live a, a double life. And, you know, I wouldn't want that exposed. So I'm not going to do the same to you, buddy. Mike, do you do you agree or disagree? It looked like you're having a little bit. I don't know if it's because of the West Wing thing, but you were looking a little bit like I don't know. No, yeah, I uh, I think that how the entire trip plays out, even from them having fake identities, I, it's really clear that you know Don takes to it really easy. Sal's kind of confused about it at first, like he lies to himself so much he can't even play. He doesn't understand that they're going to do these fake identities, um, and so. I don't think, yeah, that Don is, you know, supporting him in any way. But he's also not trying to yuck his yum. He he's just saying like, hey, I, I don't care. Um, and like, but he's trying to give him that out without actually having to access the emotional vulnerability that is confronting like you are a homosexual man in 1963. Because mm. Don's not going to get involved in that. He even invokes the whole thing about the G-men, right? Where like the guys are like, oh, you're a couple of G-men. And then Don's like, no, we're accountants, uh, which is interesting for the era because in those times, like G-men would literally like find people who were like closeted and out of the closet mm. and like do horrible things to them um, in order to like stamp out the scourge of homosexuality, as they would call it. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that that gets invoked at all. Do you, um, think, I, speaking uh, of, mm-hmm? do you think Don has ever experimented I don't know. We're lashing. You tell us. I don't, um, I, I, I don't think so. No, I think uh, based on what's presented to us, he seems to be a little bit more tightly wound than that. Um, I think if the this Don Draper what, like grew up in the 2010s or whatever, grew up in our time, I think he would be pansexual, quite quite honestly. Well, that's what I'm um, wondering. Yeah, you sure. know, I mean, like Don is straight as an arrow, but Dick Whitman, you know. Yeah, he. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you he gotta remember can. this is 
This is the Don Draper who his wife said, do you want to bounce me off the walls after his boss flirted with her? Like, he, he's a, he's still a traditional man at the end of the day. He the is, time. he is. Um, it's a it's a very uh, wonky spectrum, isn't it? Um, I wanted to mention, too, since we're on the topic of gay rights, that uh, I think it's interesting that Betty calls Sally a little lesbian, and then he, it's foreshadowing like a character named Sal actually being gay. I just kind of wanted to... No, Sal, Sally. It's a, um, and also on a more disgusting note, and, and I know the show is doing this on purpose, so I have to bring it up, but it's so gross at the end of the episode when Don is like on the bed with Betty and like Sally has like the flight attendant thing like on her. And it's like, just like when the stewardess was like, like standing over Don in the hotel room. And I think you can kind of see it on his face where it's, he's like very disturbed because he's starting to see like his daughter is going to be like a woman and gross men are going to take advantage of her. I, I'm just saying it. It's kind of like one of those things that, uh, you know, is going to become more and more, I think, um, transparent for Don since he has a daughter who is uh, sure. getting older. I mean, it does. I mean, it is interesting that like, you know, not to assume that, uh, Don has a type, but he has traditionally kind of been with brunette women throughout the show with the exception of, uh, his wife, you know? So this is like the first time he's had an affair with a, a blonde. Am I not mistaken though? At this point? Uh, that has been on screen. I think so. I mean, there was, he yeah. almost had an affair with an Asian woman at one point. Sure. Who was yeah, brunette. Um, Bobby Barrett, she kind of had like reddish brown sure. hair, yeah. I want to say. So like, yeah, um, I think there might've been other, other characters, but I mean, Hey, look, you can kind of tell too, that like the thing with the stewardess, he was fine with just like going to his room. <laughs> you know? he, was, he wasn't really like pushing for that. So yeah, I, I kind of see, I, I'm kind of with you there. Do you think he was okay with it because she herself was engaged? Like, was that the, he's like, ah, well, fuck it. Okay. I just think he's empty inside. And like, I think that line he says of, but like, I've been married a long time. You get plenty of chances. I don't think what he's really saying is like, you get plenty of chances to have like affairs. Like, I don't think that's how he sees it. I think it's like, you have chances to have intimate intimacy with someone that makes you feel better about who you are. And in his case, like, I, I think he kind of hates himself and he feels completely like fractured as a human being. And so he chases these affairs in an attempt to sort of piece himself together and make sense out of his dueling uh, motivations in life. At least that's like one of, I think, dozens of interpretations people could read onto the guy because it's not like he's going to a therapist who can give a clear answer to that. That's why he's one of the most fascinating TV characters of our time. Um, I I came across a funny um, comment on a, a website I forget which one it was, but it was for one of the reviews of this this episode, and um, it was kind of about this whole thing with uh, with Don. This person said, uh, "I love that this show can make me say Don Draper is such a fucking good guy." They're returning. They're they're remarking on how he doesn't like hate Sal, even though he know, like he's not being bigoted to Sal. Um, the show can make me say Don Draper is such a fucking good guy. Right after watching him cheat on his pregnant wife, <laughs> I think that's uh, quite the testament to this show, huh? That's exactly it. There's another comment too I wrote here um, about like the people were talking about Sal and someone said, uh, referring to Sal, maybe he'll move to a quaint town in New Hampshire and we'll have a six episodes of will he or won't he with a volunteer fireman. <laughs> I don't even know if um, Mike would catch that reference, but I know Will does. Mike's seen Sopranos. Of course yeah. I have. Okay. Well, you didn't react. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about 
plenty of times on this show. Bada bing. I guess I guess I, I got the impression it was a little still a little bit sore. I don't know about yeah. other shows that we we don't watch. I was I was even just about to make the joke that uh Don needs his own Dr. Melfi. <laughs> there you go. Um hey, never say never. Um Okay, uh, so that's that's a lot of the Don and Sal stuff. We can come back to it later if we want. Uh, was there any what what else did you guys want to cover in this episode? We have the big Pete stuff here. We have the Joan Peggy Money Penny thing, and uh, maybe a couple of small things too. What, what do y'all think? Yeah, we might as well just talk about Pete. It's it's really like in the some Pete ways it's probably it the B it's the B plot, isn't it? Sure. I mean, it is kind of interesting that you know they kind of fractured it between like the two, you know. Two of the guys have their own little, like, you know, buddy, anti, you know, frenemy uh, sort of thing going on. Oh, so like obviously, Pete like Ken, Don, and Sal. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And like the differences. That's interesting. And, and, you know, the first time I watched this episode, I was thinking to myself, what really ties these stories together? You know, and what ties the, the whole Burt Peterson thing and like Don imagining his birth and then his daughter's birth, but he doesn't really remember it very well for reasons we might be able to talk about later. But uh, my, my thing with that is I think that he might have cheated on Betty the night that because uh, she says it was like the middle of the night and he's kind of like trying to remember what's a lie and what isn't. I think that's why he stops. Uh, well, I because, thought it was because he was thinking back to that story at the beginning of the episode. It could like be. Yeah, was, I, I guess like I was kind of reading into it a little bit because he has that moment. And sorry, we went back to the Don and Sal stuff, but we get back to the moment where he, he lies about why he's tired, um, why he's so tired. And like he doesn't have to lie about that because it, it, the fire alarm thing had nothing to do with his affair. You could just be like, oh, yeah, there's a fire uh, at the hotel. And so, like, I didn't really get any sleep. Um, but he leaves that out because I think he struggles to remember, like, you know, what to keep secret, or what to keep private, and what to well, tell people. I mean, it also kind of lends credence to your idea that, like, because Sally now reminds him of that, uh, you know, stewardess, like, mm-hmm. he doesn't really want to think about it and, like, tell it to sally or have it sally be around when he talks about because it it's going to make him feel you know guiltier it's harder to separate the two when he has to think back on that so fair enough yeah, yeah. i think john I, I read the same thing as john i think he definitely was well, as soon as she said middle of the night i was like yep okay yeah i mean to me it's just like what was he doing because oh he's getting back from work like we've heard that before and i think that like him cheating on betty probably started around the time she was pregnant and him realizing that you know something was the wrong cycle. with him it's going to mm-hmm. continue forever and ever, potentially. 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 Um, um, but sorry, yeah, Pete Pete, and Ken. Now, Will, mm-hmm. I know you and I have had a lot of conversations on this show about Mad Men. I think because it's called Mad Men Men. And sure. I've liked to bring up, like, we've always been on the same page. We both like Sal. Um, mm-hmm. And I've tried to tell you, like, Harry Crane, he's no good, Will Ashton. Stop hanging out with him. Mm-hmm. He smokes. Um, sure. But Ken Cosgrove, look, I know he's a little bit of a chode right now. But sure. he's he's not a bad guy. This is one of those episodes where I think it's really starting to solidify that Ken Cosgrove is kind of just a chill dude. Um, did did this episode improve the PR of Ken Cosgrove for you, Ashen? Sure. I mean, I mean, look, if you're going to compare anybody to Pete, they're probably going to come out, you know, on the better end of things to be sure. But yeah, I can get what you're saying. I, I, I am able to see what I uh, imagine you see in Ken or what you grow to like about Ken moving forward. I feel like, I feel like I'm just trying to get you to like one of my friends because you just, you know, you won't go to the same party and I'm just like, no, he's really a decent guy. Well, I know you had a terrible first impression. Sure. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, yeah, I I do think it's interesting too, that, um, you know, if Pete always wants to be, you know, uh, 
kind of the Don Draper to come, like the successor, it is fitting that like, you know, he has this moment where he can kind of accept one of his uh, co-workers as equal, literally, like they said, they both share the same job that's kind of split in the two. And Ken's like, you know, kind of offering all the brands being like, look, it's, you know, it's not a big deal. Like I'm happy. I'm just happy. We have this opportunity. I like you, respect you a lot. I even said as much, you know, in the elevator. And then now like peace, just like, you know, can't get over it. He just can't get over the idea that, you know, he can't be top dog. You know, he, he has to share it with somebody else. And that's why, yet again, he's never going to truly be Don Draper. Um, yeah, because yeah, we know I was like, that Don, like, not that Freddie Rumson was Don's equal, but they have both worked there a long time. Don clearly had respect for him, right? Because that would be like kind of the comparison, right, to, to P and Ken. It would be him and Freddie. And, you know, there was no... I think ill will clearly between either of, of, of Don and, and Freddie. So I just, yeah, I think, Will, you're exactly right. He just shows me can't be Don. Yeah. And I, I know I was talking about this earlier, so I should pay it off. But like the, the thing that I think ties together the Pete Ken stuff, the Don Sal stuff, is I think this episode is really about professions um, and Don sort of seeing like, for example, you know, prostitution, the oldest profession. And a lot of this episode has a lot of like sex ingrained in it. And so I think like, a lot of this has to do with the way that profession kind of interferes with your personal life and the way that it just doesn't seem to interfere in Ken's life is so, is such a contrast to Pete because Pete is like, he calls his wife. He's so distracted. He doesn't ask what it pays. He like really like wraps his identity up around what his title is. There's this whole thing where he's just sort of like, that's my life. It's just like a list of titles, a list of accounts. And, you know, but at the same time, what makes the character interesting is that like, he, in that sentence, laments to Trudy the idea of that, like, titles, like, wear him down, titles limit him, but what he's after is a title, head of accounts. That's mm-hmm. all it is. Like, he doesn't care about the money, right? If he cared about the money, he would have asked Lane, but mm-hmm. I think that that's such a telling thing about him, and that harkens to when Don and Sal are in the elevator, and Sal says the thing after the bellhop gets off the elevator where he's just like, we're the only ones not in uniform. And that speaks to how like their profession is so anonymous. They can pretend to be accountants, right? They can do whatever because they're just wearing suits. But if they wear a uniform, that like signifies who they are. If you wear the uniform of a flight attendant, you're a flight attendant. They literally have that whole thing where she's like, oh, I can't smoke because I'm in uniform. And like you see like the rules and like the limits of that are something that may appeal, I think, directly to Don. And then you see how the other characters also are kind of grappling with that same thing in their own different ways. Also, the pilot having the rib bib as well, the rib, uh, which I thought the rib, the rib, the rib, the rib, the rib, rib bib. When, or sorry, when, whatever the lobster bib. Oh, that wasn't a pilot. Uh, that was an engineer. Okay, um, in any case, a flight uh, engineer. You can tell because of the bars on his shoulder, um, and also for the time, pilots probably wouldn't be like hanging out like that. They hmm. are just wanting to sleep. I see. Well, I, I mean, that's why I was kind of impressed that you know uh, Don Sal had fib so hard that even the pilot's like shit i gotta meet these guys like (laughs) (laughs) yeah there you go no i think that the engineer is just kind of horny and he wants to get with the the flight attendants but sure no i know but like i just when i saw him just like you know because it's like the two shot of um you know you see uh you know don and sal and then you see the flight attendants then all of a sudden you get to that guy he's just like also there and has this like big bib on and i thought that was a funny reveal and he's like criticizing their professions right yeah and again i think that the episode is very clearly about that you were gonna say something mike i was just saying yeah that's another slapstick moment for me i thought it was really funny but i definitely thought he was a pilot and the fact that you uh you knew that john because of the bars on his shirt makes you a fucking nerd 
That's your profession. <laughs> that's such a nerdy thing. I might as well have a blue check mark on Twitter. Um, uh, yeah. What else did you? Because I, I, yeah, again, topical humor. <laughs> what else? Uh, what else did you guys want to bring up with uh, the Pete and Sal stuff, or Pete and Ken stuff? Excuse me. They're they're dueling for head of accounts. Will who's your prediction? Who wins out? You think between Ken and Pete for head of accounts? Well, I, won't tell I mean, you if it there does. Is a winner, uh, what's his name now? Les L- Len. 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 Okay. It the, seems the like ben, Len has who? certainly. Who are you talking about? I, I'm just Lane. Well, look, I've just met Lane. I'm just. Len. I just met this guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know you guys have known each other for seasons upon seasons, and you stay, revisit the show. Stay in it's your lane. It's a one syllable word. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. What's his name? Lester. Like what? What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> All right. In any case, Jared Hess seems to. Uh, take quite a liking to ken so far and he seems to be impressed when you know they have their oh i disagree he seems to like Mm. pete more Uh, well i don't know at the end of that um account meeting he like looks at uh ken a little bit more like affectionately like you know no no well you're missing you're missing it mm -hmm. so i think it's because you watched the episode only once um so if you pay close attention uh, between the meetings he said he tells pete that he likes him and he has more of a conversation with him and with Ken, Ken, like literally, like he doesn't say that he likes Ken. He's very direct about it. And when Ken tries to shake his hand, he's kind of like super standoffish about it. I think deep down Lane um, would have picked Pete. Like it's told to us that the home office is the one that wanted to pit them together. But I think that if it was up to Lane, I think he would have picked Pete. Um, same thing. with. Well, I mean, I mean, I think at the beginning, I just, I don't know. I got the vibe that Lane was a little bit more, uh, won over by Ken throughout the episode, though I guess I'm wrong. Mike, are you happened. Team Will or Team John? Oh, I'm Team John on this one. Oh, for mm. sure. Oh, say it I again. Definitely misreading it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, big time. And it makes sense why the home office would want to pit them together, right? Because uh, who who was, you know, Pete's number one, number one fan? Fucking Duck. Uh, and who kind of pissed off the, the home office and probably had a lot of issues? Duck, right? And so there's going to be some turmoil there, like between the lines. Uh, how point. they now are, are going to see CP. Yeah. Well, that was the, um, I was going to bring that up before is that I, I did appreciate in the meeting that, uh, Lane and Pete had that he was like, is this for real? Like for real, for real. I, I know it's not the exact phrasing, but I, I thought it was kind of funny and even a little cute that like, he was like, you know, is this actually happening? Cause you know, he was promised that position with duck and then that fell through, you know, obviously between seasons that we, I guess he had to deal with the turmoil of that fallout, but I did think that was fun. I just want to enjoy my life as much as Ken Cosgrove enjoys his, you know, just like makes a little bit more money than other people, you know, is a writer and he likes doing it and has, a, has had success doing it. Now he's just, you know, gee, gee golly, I'm so happy to get this promotion at work and hell, I get to work closely with one of my good pals, Pete. Ah, life is good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have to say, uh, I agree on all that. And uh, I, I love Lane Price so much. I, I know to Will, he's just, you know, Len or Les or whatever. Who He couldn't mm. care less that way. Lenny! But uh, I love that he's introduced to the show through the uh, the painting in Bert's office. <laughs> um, so that's uh, Hakusai's The Dream of the Fisherman's Wife. Uh, very famous. And it uh, uh, looks like Will has a comment on that. Uh, yeah, Bert, so it's, Bert it's put confirmed. It up in his yeah, it's confirmed that uh, Bert would have been a big hentai guy if he had the opportunity to enjoy so. He would have been a big fan of the movie The Handmaiden, um, that's for sure. Um, 
Yeah. So uh, it's interesting because like he says that uh, he imagines um, like he says like, oh, it reminds me of how like this business is. And like, again, tying into like professions and like uh, sexual gratification and all of that. But uh, I think it's interesting that as soon as he's talking about that stuff, he's like, oh, this business is like a pleasure den or whatever. Um, Don walks in and he's just like, we were just talking about you. <laughs> I'm curious what, what your reads were on that. Why do you think, why do you think Bert uh, thinks of Don that way? Because uh, obviously it's clear why we would, but I mean, what does Bert know? No, I mean, don't we get that right a little bit. And like Bert sees, he doesn't know Dick, right? But Bert knows there's a dick. Like he sees the essence of a dick. I see. I see. We're a lot alike. You know, yeah, he has that whole thing, right? So so you think that he kind of sees that like Don is kind of like uh, a horn dog on Maine, is what you're saying? Oh, for sure. Bert, I think Bert, like his role in this show is is that like he's like Yoda. And I don't think they do a, a, a you know a grand effort of trying to hide that either. You know, he's the mysterious into Eastern or yeah, like Eastern practices, all this stuff. And so it makes sense. Like, oh yeah, he just knows. He has the he ant just, farm. He can just see it. Um, yeah, yeah, he's eccentric. He's eccentric. Um, and he has like that whole thing at the end where he's just like clearly offended by Lane's correction about London Fog. He's just like, I don't care what he says. London Fog is a great name. <laughs> I just and it's not even prompted; it's just to himself. I love yeah, that they yeah. all go and hide in Don's office, and you have that yeah. moment. And he drinks brandy, I, which they're like, "Wait, Bert drinking?" I yeah. love the kind of like treehouse quality of that scene. You know, like it's just like boys kind of hiding in their little den, just you know, yeah, that, you know, that out, annoying like, like neighbor kid who's younger than everybody is just kind of like waltzed sure. in, and they're like, "Yeah, you can yeah. hang out, but don't take any of our well, cigarettes." Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, it's like the little brother thing where it's like, like, you know, like, yeah, he's a little brother. He, like, if we, we don't invite him, mom's going to get mad at us. So it's like, yeah, I guess you can come in, too. <laughs> yeah. Who's mom in this case? Yeah. Joan. Um, there, There's sure. a line about how uh, Hooker says that, uh, like, oh, this place, this place is a ginocracy, um, which I had to look up. I don't know what that word meant, but it's like a place that's ruled by women. So it's like ginocracy, more like Joanocracy. Yeah, I did it. I made a joke. That was. That's all I thought you were going to say, everybody. I thought you were going to say vaginocracy. <laughs> yeah, I also thought you were going to say vaginocracy. <laughs> You're like, oh, we expected more out of you, John. We expected you to be one sick duck. Um, yeah. So, so Joan at this point, uh, apparently married, um, because she did say her wedding was going to be at Christmas, and it's April, um, and she also says that she's going to be leaving soon. Um, which was also mentioned last season that when she would be married, uh, she'd be leaving Sterling Cooper to be a full-time wife, a uh, full-time housewife. And uh, yeah, so we, have, we get a little bit of like Joan and Hooker's sort of like dynamic and she just seems done. Uh, I wanted to mention, it's kind of interesting the way that uh, her interactions with Peggy in this, like we get a little bit of Peggy, not a ton. Uh, we get a little line about how she's on so many accounts. Um, and we also see her kind of trying to talk to Joan, like kind of like work friends, I guess, which I thought was kind of interesting. I was like, oh, just it kind of feels like Peggy wants to be perceived a certain way with Joan. Like she's still kind of like, you know, a little bit like the Pete Campbell thing almost, like that she's like the little sister, but she's kind of like risen up the ranks. And like I felt a little bit like she wants to connect with Joan and be friends with her, but Joan's a little bit resistant to it for whatever reason. No, I think that's exactly correct. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the vibe I got. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, are you sad to see Joan go, Lash? I know she's one of your favorite characters. I mean, look, I know I haven't seen ahead, but I have a funny feeling that this is not the last we're going to see of Joan. Yeah, we make it like one more episode. Um, Joan yeah, it's it. true. 
Yeah. Um, Pete mentions a threesome at one point. I just wanted to put that out there. Um, Mike, what did you think of John Hooker? Uh, his name is literally Mr. Hooker. Um, I did. Um, I did appreciate that. You know, like because the Brits are trying to get used to Americans. There was a part of me I was thinking, like, "Oh, you Americans are so forthcoming." <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, are are you? What do you, what do you think, Mike, of uh, Money Penny himself? He hates being called that. He does hate being called that. And I also, I, when I was trying to think about. I got like into a loophole in my own brain about like the whole money penny joke because like, obviously it's James Bond. But then I was like, is, is it like, I know it from James Bond or is that just a term? Like, cause then I was trying to think of like, okay, it's 1963. What James Bonds have been out at this point. Well, the books or, have been and out I guess for a while. Just, exactly. Then I was like, okay, it's the book. And I just started thinking so hard about it. And it was like one of they those would, things where also they would remember Dr. No came out in 1962. So that and it was a big mm. hit. So so we're, so we're so we're actually at that. So then that's the thing. We're at the height. This is like sure. this is very popular James Bond times. Yeah, I think that. Uh, I, just, not, I just thought long and hard. I don't remember not the height pe- height, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm gonna assume. I don't know. Like it, it, I I don't know if they've read the book, but yeah, the movie would have been popular enough that I think they would know it. I in reference I, it. I don't remember exactly if Money Penny is in Doctor No. Um, it has been a while since I watched it. But yeah, I think the height height would be like a few more movies in, like past Goldfinger. But I would say yeah, Goldfinger is like where you get to like the height of it. Yeah, Sean Connery can even go to the bathroom by himself. Well, from Russia with Love's like right next to it. So I mean, yeah, like we're talking like yeah, yeah, the first three films. Yes. But then you ever have those things where it's like, okay, I know Money Penny's from James Bond, but what if it was just like a term that like British people knew and used all the time? Uh, but I only know it from James Bond, so I just specifically thought it was that. And so that was, it just kind of broke my brain while I was watching this for a while. Also wanted to bring out um, that if you pay attention to the opening credits, we see that uh, a lot of actors have been added to the main cast. Um, so you see their names up in lights. Um, of course, that includes Robert Morse. Uh, Rich Summer is now in the opening credits. Aaron Staten, uh, who plays Ken Cosgrove, is also there. Uh, I think we also see, we see Sal. Um, so Brian Batt, and we also see Paul Kinsey, Michael Gladys. Um, so I don't know if, I remember if, I think everybody else we see was already on the main cast. I'd have to fact check that, but yeah, uh, definitely a little bit more solidified than it used to be. Um, and yeah, uh, we still, uh, Kieran Shipka is still guest star. Um, mm. So just putting that out there. Oh yeah, I recognize there was a, a totally different Bobby this time around. I mean, I know he's been switched around a bunch, but I feel like this Bobby looks nothing like the other Bobbies. The other Bobbies. This is this is yeah. the second actor to play Bobby that we see his face. Uh, there have been other okay. Bobbies, to your credit, who were uh, hidden um, mm. due to them not having the uh, the actor on hand. But uh, yeah, yeah, new new Bobby. You'll notice. Uh, I forget the actor's name, but he plays a character in uh, this that really big TV show. I'm trying to remember what it was called. It was on ABC. It was the one where oh, I thought like, you were going to do White... uh, uh, Once Upon a Time. Yes, that's the one. He plays one I of the thought... main characters in that. I, I for for a second I thought you were teeing up another reference to Fringe until you said ABC. <laughs> uh, hey, maybe he wasn't Fringe and I forgot. I don't know. Um, but no, he's one of the main characters in uh, in Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Um, I, did either of you ever watch that show? Nope. Okay. No. Fair enough. Nope. Um, you you didn't miss anything at all. Um, I think we've covered a lot of it. Uh, I I did want to bring up Harry Crane is like despicable. I forgot to bring up. A few episodes ago, because I was editing the the episode, I think it was the Jet Set. So the episode where Duck um, ha- is like drinking again, 
And you have the thing where like Joan is just like, Harry Crane accidentally opened this as she hands him some mail. So you kind of get the hint that like he's apparently like taken to that more because obviously in the benefactor, he opened Ken's mail um, and saw that Ken got paid a certain amount, which is also something to bring up in this episode because uh, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But also, yeah, Harry is just like a conniving son of a bitch. Um, I think Matthew Weiner has said that one of the reasons they add the whole thing he says about like the tax rates was because at the time that they were making this episode, there was like this absurd debate about how much people were being taxed in like 2008, 2009, when like back in the 60s, it was like way, way more. Um, so people were like complaining about like being taxed like you know, 35% or whatever it was. Um, but then yes, also wanted to mention on, on that related note, the whole thing where Ken, uh, finds that we find out he's being paid 21,000, which apparently is like, um, half of like what head of accounts gets paid, I guess, uh, since they're splitting the job in two, I'm not sure, but, uh, he, uh, sort of is like, looks disappointed by that. I did the math and like, that would mean he's getting paid $403 a week. We found out in the last episode, he was being paid like, I think 200, 210 a week which had Harry Crane like all upset. So if it's only been about a year since then, it just seems a little weird to me. It's like, that's double what his salary was. So did he get like a huge promotion at some point? And then that's not really a raise. That's why he looks disappointed. I think that that's kind of unclear. Or is it like a tax thing? You know, because but they did also say that like, if you're getting paid more than 40,000, so maybe it wouldn't affect him as much. I'm not sure what to make of it, quite honestly. Um, I don't know if I missed something though that you two might've caught. Well, I mean, if you're expecting to be paid quadruple like what you're making, and then you find it's only half of that, wouldn't you also be disappointed? I guess. All right. But I mean, he's not like super bummed about it, right? He's the exact. He's that amount of annoyed. He's like, ah, that's a bummer, but still great, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't like flounder on it. He's not Pete Campbell. Yeah, but Pete doesn't even care. Yeah, he's just like, well, I can't buy the boat, but maybe someday, <laughs> maybe if the writing career takes off um let's see here i think we've covered everything else i had here don does mention puerto rico so i said what's up to the screen both times i watched it um i was curious why don lies to sal about the suitcase you know like why he acts like his his brother put his name on it when really he borrowed it because his daughter broke it and i was like is it pride does he not want to well, admit he's using another man's things but at the same time he'll use another man's name which is like his whole mm-hmm. deal uh, i wasn't too sure about that i mean i think he you know, it's like the same when we were talking about the end when he like lies. Like, I mean, not only does he sort of lie for sport, but I think he just kind of feels this need to like separate his work and home life. Hmm. I guess so. I guess it was just a weird thing to lie about, but it does tie to like how he lies about weird things and then he can't keep it all straight. And a lot of the time he lies about things that he doesn't have to lie about. He could just say that like, oh yeah, to borrow my brother-in-law's suitcase because my my daughter broke the last one because, uh, you know, she didn't want me to, to leave town again, never come back like she thought I was last time. And like that happened because I cheated on my wife. And the next thing you know, Don, the, the flights landed and Don's still talking. I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe they just don't have this sort of relationship where Don feels comfortable talking about his kids. I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. Um, Don apparently gets the the stewardess treatment a lot. So he's generally taken aback by Sal and Sal's just like, I've never seen a stewardess that game. And he's just like, really? Um, and you know, it's interesting because like Sal has like had an effect on women, like in the first season, uh, we see that he had that effect on Lois. So I think it's kind of interesting that like, it would be kind of different, but I guess, I guess maybe it's just something that like he doesn't actively pursue. So I don't know. I think it's just that he wouldn't notice. Like, he wouldn't notice. You, like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was the other thing I was going to mention is that there's no Lewis this time around. 
you know, like she was talking about, you know, getting the, the raise or whatever, or like, you know, cause she spilled the beans on the information that they would protect her. And on that note, like we don't that. see, uh, apparently Don has a new secretary, but we don't know who it is. Um, it's not Joan, um, because, mm. uh, I think when he gets back from the trip, the, uh, somebody tells him that his girl is still, I think it was Roger. Um, so maybe we'll find yeah. out who his secretary is next episode. Maybe it'll be someone we know, yeah. maybe not. And we don't know what, uh, at this point, we don't know what happened with uh, Roger and his uh, new fiance. That's right. Um, I, Will, you just missed it. John just hinted at something. I, John, let's just tell him. Let's tell him who it is. I, is okay. this like the Don and Sal thing? It, where, is it, is it, is no, it John C? Lie together? It's Chauncey! <laughs> <laughs> would never take a pay cut like that. <laughs> I was hoping um, that there'd be a running bit with like uh, Len constantly, you know, introducing new people as the head of accounts. And, you know, it, the rule of thirds, you know, you got obviously, you know, Pete, then Ken. But then the third time you just you, you only hold on Len for a bit. And it's just like, I just want to let Lane. you know. Sorry. I just want to let you I, know. Yeah, that at you, this point, are you doing it on purpose? <laughs> no, I'm not. You hold on uh, Lane being like. We just wanted to let you know you're the new head of accounts. Camera pulls back, turns. There's Chauncey on the desk with the suit and tie. And, yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe and Chaun- he- maybe Chauncey's cousin is the new secretary. But I heard she and can then, be a uh, real bitch. Yeah, Get it? and then he's like, "You're the new head of accounts." Bark, man, you put up a hard <laughs> fight, but I like that. <laughs> um, there you, you go. You got spunk, kid. Will Will is basically like free writing the uh, the script for Strays coming to theaters soon. Yeah. Um, Did you see that trailer before? Um, Bo's thing we just watched. Bo's afraid. Yeah, that was the one where it's like yeah. Will Ferrell. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, voices a dog. And I test. saw it. Wait, I saw it before Champions. I think. Hmm. Um, I also wanted to bring up. Uh, so the woman, the flight attendant who wants Don's dick, is like, and then I ate a whole bag of Fritos and farted all night, which I thought was pretty fun. Uh, I just like that little story that like, she's just like, and then I ate all these Fritos. It's very unladylike. Um, I just wanted to bring that up and let's see here. Just kind of going through my notes. Um, I think it's, I think it's interesting that, you know, it's, it's Dick Whitman's birthday. Right. And so like, that's why, because like they kind of explained that that's why he was thinking of his birth because like today is his actual birthday, um, but it's not Don Straper. So he can't tell anybody. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Like you see that kind of like pain on his face about it. Like it really is. Um, but I also wouldn't expect him to be that sentimental about birthdays because based on what we know of him, uh, what, what did you think of that? Will? Oh, I mean, yeah, again, it's just like the idea that, um, you know, he can't ever really truly be himself. We've been kind of talking about like he has to constantly lie. He has to constantly kind of put on this persona. And it's like only in this like very vulnerable moment where he's also ostensibly being unfaithful to his wife. He, he can like actually admit something. And to the point where I was kind of wondering, he's like, is it actually his birthday? Like when he first said it, I was like, or is that just like a way to get in her pants? But then I was like, no, actually, I think it is really his birthday and he seems kind of you know sad about it and yeah so. i don't think he had to pull that card to like get mm-hmm. in her pants i mean she was all over it um sure all over him um it's like i i, I want to see if this floor looks looks different like okay lady um just constantly tripping over the walls just like gumsy me yeah <laughs> like grabbing his dick um i love the shot of sal falling on the hotel bed and like actually bouncing um the cinema is what it is um i saw like there was some like chatter back when this episode came out like some people were saying 
hey, you know, this show, you know, it probably would have been better if it had come out on HBO because then you could have more nudity, you could have more swearing. I think they're responding to how, like, in these scenes, um, I mean, we do get, like, a more graphic uh, gay sex scene than we usually do or, like, the beginnings of one that we would, like, on any kind of, like, premium channel at the time. Yeah. Um, it was or, pretty ahead of its time in that way. Poor Sal couldn't get his rocks off. He could only get a couple kisses, but... That's right. A couple kisses do. and a little bit of a touch. A little bit of a... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, a, little, a, a little handsy but i think they're referring specifically to when um the stewardess is like standing over dawn and like you don't you don't really like they they of course like hide the, the nudity yeah. in full but, kind of uh unnaturally kind of holding her hands to her chest weirdly yeah and so they were arguing it's like oh but if this came out on hbo like they could do stuff like that but i saw other people the counter argument which i agree with which is that that fits the show way better because it really would start to make the the time and the, sh- the the period that the show is set in feel less authentic. Not because things like there weren't nudity back then, but because of our perception of the 60s. And it would probably be a little bit too jarring, a little bit too anachronistic to display it a certain way. So I like how they find that balance um, the way that they yeah. do. I think that's true. Also, I think it's like kind of, you know, like the show is dealing with like the turn of the 50s to the 60s where, you know, like with the 50s, there's a code and they had to kind of find more creative ways to kind of show and mm. talk around these things. But as things are getting more liberated with the 60s, the show is kind of opening up more and more. But there still are those kind of restrictions or at least those public minded pers- uh, restrictions in place. Yeah, and I think it would have ruined. I think the fan base of this show would have been like altered in a bad way. Like people would have come to the show expecting nudity and swearing and stuff, and that's not really what the show is trying to do. Yeah, it's like uh, I saw that take with uh, what's that like not Fleetwood Mac show that is Fleetwood Mac Daisy Jones or something. Oh, I haven't seen that show, but I didn't know people were saying Daisy Jones in the Six. I think it's called. Yeah, something like that. But I, I saw a bunch of takes of being like everybody's teeth are way too nice. (laughs) This isn't in the (laughs) sixties. And, uh, yeah, I think, I definitely think stylistically, like, um, it also makes me think of, uh, what was that show? It's, uh, it was it masters of sex. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's totally jarring and it really is a different tone of a show and would not be Batman at all. Yeah. I People totally want to see and that it, just are horny. <laughs> masters of sex was a good show, but it, yeah, I, th- I agree. It's not as good. And I, I think that is one of the reasons cause it doesn't have that same restraint. And so, yeah, it's like once you go that far, and it, it is kind of what the show is about. I don't think they had an easier time sort of, you know, avoiding that, quite honestly. But um, the London Fog pitch, I thought was kind of interesting, kind of weird, like where Don's like whole reaction, like, oh, everybody's bought a raincoat by now. And Don's like, it is going to rain. And I, I just I thought it was kind of like a weak pitch. But uh, I mean, that's why he's working on the ad, right? That was interesting that Sal was late. I was two, two minds of this. Like he's probably hungover, but I also got the sense that he was like, you know, he couldn't sleep. Um, we know Don was also very tired, but I think Don was a little bit like, you know, he's kind of used to that, I guess. Uh, also used to alcohol, but like I thought this is an interesting touch that like Sal comes in a little bit late. And also a similar nice touch I liked was that when Pete finds out he's head of accounts, they mark that it's like around lunch. And so when he comes out of the meeting, the, the office is empty. Right. And so like, I, I like that they pay attention to those details. Like when they make this I'm like, hey, uh, this is during lunch. So we should like add to that atmosphere. They don't have to say it, but like there's not as many people around, which, uh, you know, Great show in that sense. I don't think I have anything else unless you guys are ready for trivia or if you I, had something else that you wanted to bring up. I had one last thing to bring up, and this is a genuine question because I was curious about this. There's a lot of focus throughout this episode on feet. Like we see the, um, you know, like the beginning of the episode, it's like oh, focus on Don's feet. Yeah, I was I was going to say, by the way, that uh, I think Hooker kind of reminds me a lot of Pete. Uh, but sorry, good. 
I was just gonna say like the episode starts on Dawn's feet, then there's also that that cutaway uh later when um Sal and uh the uh floor attendant like when they're about to like the shift, hop. like it's folk I'm sorry, the bell hop it's folks on our feet. Yeah, like that's yeah. kind of the change. And then obviously when they're like the fire alarm goes off, it's like they have their bare feet on the, I didn't know what that was all about, but I was, it's focused on enough. That I feel it's intentional and deliberate. I think it's the exposure, isn't it? Sure. It's like the idea. I'm guessing of, that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, he's like, Oh, forget your shoes, forget your shoes. And like running on the water. And I think it's like evoking the London fog thing a bit. Um, the fact that there was a fire, um, obviously we both know that the fire happened because things were getting too hot in that hotel room, but the other people didn't know. Right. So they were probably just scared. Um, anyway, uh, also at the beginning of the episode, Don is on the left side of the bed and Betty is on the right side. And he's comforting her. I think it's interesting. At the end of the episode, the roles are reversed um, where he is on the right side and she's kind of comforting him because he's so tired. Um, I also wanted to mention that uh, I think it's funny that Betty had a stuffed Eeyore because it's extremely depressing. Like what kid has a stuffed Eeyore instead of Winnie the Pooh, but I guess Betty, that kind of makes sense that she would want something that depressing. Anyway, uh, that's all I had. Uh, anything else, guys, before we go to trivia and say goodbye? I don't have a lot of trivia. Yeah, John, give me just here's can you tell me the year it was made and then one one fact about Fringe? And then I'm going to try to tell you uh, the plot of the, of the show because I know. Oh, okay, Fringe came out in 2008. Um, the plot of the show, the plot of like the whole show or. I, no, 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 no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you. I don't know anything, but I just need oh, like one more piece of information. Give me, give, just give me something you think might help me, and then I'm gonna tell you what that show is about because I, I do not know, and I do not think the title gives it away. Give you some, some information. Uh, you know, it's a show about weird science. It's about weird science. Yeah, it's like a, it's okay. called. They work and for uh, a branch of the FBI called the Fringe Division. They like investigate like things that well, seem supernatural, uh, but they're actually just like Listening weird scientific occurrences. I don't. I I was gonna try to guess what the show was about. God damn it, John! Did you ever watch the show uh, Parks and Recreation? I did watch the show Parks and Recreation. Yes. There's a scene uh, in some one of the later seasons where Adam Scott's character Ben uh, mentions that, like, oh, I went back and I watched Fringe uh, looking for um, plot errors or like plot holes. Found nothing. It's airtight. Um, He's right. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Look, uh, not to break up this conversation about two shows I didn't watch, but uh, unfortunately, my time is running low. Will's ready for trivia is what he's trying to say. Sorry. Excuse me. Yeah, suffer. Um, Weiner has said in an interview that this is the farthest Sal's ever gone with a man, which I think is pretty apparent from like that scene, you know, that like maybe he's almost kind of kissed somebody or had some kind of like almost thing with somebody, but def- definitely never had like sex. I think it's kind of clear from this scene. Um. Uh, oh, yeah. The other thing I mentioned I was going to mention was uh, the TWA reference, of course. Uh, TWA, I think, eventually got bought um, and wrapped into like one of the companies we know today. And then I only had a couple other things. Let me make sure I have them. Um, there we go. Okay. Um, so after this episode aired, the real London Fog, because it's a real company, they, they actually hired Christina Hendricks, who plays Joan, um, to be the face of their fall advertising campaign. So there was like a fun little thing there. Um, and they also referenced the Jimmy Hoffa thing, um, which was happening around this time. And he was being investigated and everything. And so uh, I thought that was kind of interesting if you all thought that there was some like anything about Jimmy Hoffa and unions and Teamsters and stuff like that. Um, I know we watched the, the movie, The Irishman, but uh, I, would, I would say just like kind of keep that in the back of your head as you watch this season. And that's it. Not a lot of trivia. There you go. Now we can get out of here and Will can go back to, you know, 
his business trip wherever he's gone. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry, I don't mean to cut the fun. But Apology yeah, rejected. Unfortunately. Oh, wow. Okay. We're having a great time. And uh, now, all right, we'll, yeah. we'll see you all for well, the next episode, uh, which is Love Among the Ruins. Should be a good time. All right. Until then, we've been Fringe Men.